0: Saturday, April 15th, and Sunday, the 16th, were just another weekend in what has become the bizarre routine in the life of Israelis in the last few months. We're going to take a close look today at what happens on the fringes of the main events. We all hear a lot about the big crowds at the protests, but far less about the side arguments, arrests, police station protests, and court hearings. Stay with us as we bring you the sounds and experiences of the new normal on the streets in the state of Tel Aviv and beyond. This is the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond, the podcast that brings you the straight up, unfiltered story, what's really going down in Israel. Politics, economics, religion and state, lots of conflict. I'm your host, Vivian Berkovich, former Canadian ambassador to Israel. We're on the street with the folks who live here and have skin in the game. Yalla, let's dive in. Following more than two months of constant tension, with an increase in terror attacks in the West Bank, escalating tensions regarding the aggressive and rushed judicial reforms being rammed through the Knesset by the coalition government, and the constant cycle of protests against this radical change, Israel, by the end of March, was in full-on meltdown mode. So when Benjamin Netanyahu announced at the end of March that the government would pause its legislative agenda... For the month of April, the temptation to relax was palpable. But it was also fleeting. Because the levels of public trust in government, particularly a Netanyahu led government, were tanking. Everyone suspected a ruse, a trap, that the prime minister was saying that the coalition government would sit in good faith with the opposition to try to negotiate a compromise to this impasse. At the same time, his coalition partners and the ministers told the media that, sure, They'd go to the table, but if no agreement was reached, they'd come back for the summer session of the Knesset in early May and slam through the judicial reform legislation. Let's just say that the messaging wasn't crystal clear. So opponents of judicial reform said, fine, we hope that a reasonable agreement can be reached, but in the meantime, even throughout the holiday period, we will not ease up on the pressure. The protests shall continue and, if anything, ramp up. This podcast is a snapshot of what went down in Tel Aviv on the evening and night of Saturday, April 15th, and the following Sunday morning. Saturday, April 15th, I was tired and vacillating as to whether to head to the weekly protest of Kaplan or not. Near the end of the Saturday evening news talk show I was watching, one of the last guests to come on was a Likud member of Knesset, Dudi Salem, a real rough-and-tumble type, Salem was over the top, even for him. He railed that various public figures who were championing this leftist mayhem, protesting judicial reform in a democracy, should be charged with fomenting a coup. The faces of the two very seasoned Israeli journalists, Ben Kaspit and Amit Segel, quite literally fell when he said that. It was an astonishingly stupid comment, and Umsalam has made many over the years. It also motivated me to get up and out and head to Kaplan. As always, it was crowded. Attendance generally hits 150,000 a week, week after week, sometimes a bit more, sometimes a bit less. As things were winding down at the end of the protest and the speeches, I started walking home and approached a youngish religious man who was standing at the edge of the crowd, as he does every week, with his wife and two school-age sons. He holds a sign that reads, we are brothers. He supports the judicial reform, but not the manner in which it is being handled. I have seen him week after week, politely engaging if people stop to talk, otherwise standing quietly with his sign. That night, I stopped to speak with him and his kids. His wife showed up a little later. We chatted for about 20 minutes, until a man in his late 60s or early 70s came along, and this guy wanted to be heard. He had a lot to say. Following is a partial recording of what this man did say. He was speaking Hebrew, of course, and I will be translating in a voiceover of the recording. I'm saying that you don't worry about your brothers here. You aren't really our brothers. You try to show with your kippot that you are, but you aren't. You don't share our destiny, our culture, our freedom from religion. You don't share our Zionist values. You come from and live in a different place. Your society is religious Zionist. Most of your community members don't serve in the army. And if they do, they don't do full service. You do partial service. Look at Smotrich, Bendver, did they do a day of army service? As soon as your society decided that it is paramount to extend Israel to the Jordan River, and that is more important than us, the relationship ends. Our soldiers are in the middle of the settlements and are put in danger to protect what is happening there. I served there, in reserve. I saw how religious Zionists behave. The youth there, horrible and Israeli soldiers are put in danger to protect this community. You can believe what you want, and I can believe what I want. I want freedom for religion. I don't want to be told that I have to be married according to what was the law 2,500 years ago. I don't want you telling me if I can drive or not on Yom Kippur. I don't want you telling me if I can eat bread on Passover or not. This Passover, I was in the hospital. For the first time in my life, I ate bread, very intentionally. I said to myself, we are fighting for our future and our destiny. It is the first time in my life that I ate bread in a public place on Passover. If you really want to return to being brothers, we can. We were in the past. We disagreed, but we lived together. But now, everything is on your terms. You tell us how things are going to be. I am to listen to religious Zionists, What knowledge does Smotrich have? Benvir, the way they speak to us and about us. When I did reserve duty, I went with my soldiers to guard Benvir and Smotrich and their supporters in the settlements. I ate my heart. I ate my heart. What I was doing and who I was protecting, the way the religious Zionists spoke to us, IDF soldiers, was disgusting. It's the way you speak to enemies. The group that calls itself religious Zionist is neither religious nor Zionist, and they are destroying our democracy. Those are your representatives. They have destroyed the people, the economy, the army. They have destroyed everything. Yes, he was intense, but polite and focused, and did not mince his words. A straight talker, he was. At that point, I left the discussion and continued walking home. Again, I was relaxing on the couch, and the messages started coming in on my WhatsApp around 11.30 at night. There had been numerous arrests of protesters at Kaplan. A request was being made for people to head to the Salome police station in South Tel Aviv to show support for those detained. So, I went to see what was going on. Among those arrested that night were two boys in grade 10. Every single time anyone is arrested, brothers and sisters in arms, a wildly well-organized group of reserve soldiers snaps into action. By April 15th, they were very well rehearsed. They had a roster of lawyers all over the country, and as soon as they receive word of an arrest, they put out a WhatsApp call for people to come to the police station where those arrested are being held and they want those who show up to make noise and voice support. Once I arrived at the Salome police station in South Tel Aviv, I saw Orangeville, one of the founders of this group. Brothers and sisters in arms have turned into a force of nature, in large part due to the exceptional and unflagging leadership of Orangeville. He's tireless, charming, smart, always good-natured, and sharp as a tack. If you haven't yet listened to episode 5 of this podcast series, then I suggest you do so. That is where we first introduced Oren Scheel and several of his colleagues, after their Operation Cohelet, which received very widespread media attention. But back to April 15th. I spoke with Orrin again that night at Salome Police Station. We walked across the street to chat. Otherwise, it would have been impossible to have been heard over the din and clatter. By the time I arrived there at 11.45 or 11.50 on Saturday night, about 200 noisy protesters were already there. A coffee and snack station was oversupplied. So Jewish. And things were just getting going. Orangefield, nice to see you again. Different location. Nice to see you. So we're here outside the, the Salma, Shalma station, police station?
1: Salame police station.
0: Salame, okay. South, Yes, and how many demonstrators were arrested tonight by the police? There were
1: eight people arrested in Ayalon, blocking Ayalon Road. All of them were brought to here. Uh, And now it's midnight, as you can see. There are a few hundred people outside of the police station, singing, making noise, asking the police to free the guys. I think two of them are minors, under 16, you know, high school students rest of them are adults, and our team is trying to get them free with the lawyers and...
0: So tell me, I listen, I follow you guys, you've been very very active, you yourself, I don't know how you do it, you must have a Superman cape in your pocket, because you're all over the country every day. But one of the things I've been watching really carefully are all these arrests, and it seems to be a routine. Not just here, I think up in some at carcourt in the north, there have been quite a few. Can you sort of give us a sense of who's getting arrested and why?
1: In almost every demonstration, some people get arrested. Uh, I think most of the times the, the police want to show numbers. They want to prove that they did something, they arrested some, someone sometimes it even happened in a very quiet and and mellow demonstrations in in front of someone's house i'm not speaking about blocking i alone i'm speaking about in her in front of the house of Julie Hederstein, they come and arrest someone you know and it's really quiet and and, and mellow demonstration because they want to show in the numbers that someone get arrested they did the job and this is the what happens in the small events. In the big events, sometimes more people get arrested, uh, especially when policemen start to get nervous, coming with the horses many times and trying to push the people out of the roads.
0: State of Tel Aviv is supported by listeners and readers like you. We are an independent media organization and in order for us to create this content, we need your support. Please visit our website at stateoftelaviv.com. That's stateoftelaviv.com and consider becoming a paid subscriber. You will also find some fabulous print articles providing superb background analysis and opinion on what's going down. Each supporter makes a huge difference. Thanks for being here. And now, back to the episode. So oh, tonight you mentioned, you said that these people who were arrested, the eight individuals, they were all on the Ayalon?
1: I think so. At least that's what we know. We have a procedure now that immediately when someone gets arrested, a friend or anyone who is with him report the name and all the details and the video of, of the arrest itself. Uh, we have a team guided by, by Tzur that you know. is a lawyer and a lot of volunteer lawyers from from the area that they go immediately to the police station, consult the, the guys, and work with the police to get them free. 99.9% of them, they re- being released after two, three hours. In, in very few cases, they were kept for, for the night or for longer times or asked to come again. But most of the cases they are just released a few hours later.
0: are they being charged criminally with anything
1: uh, until now, I think uh, m- maybe there is one who, who was was charged for something. rest of the cases they were all released without anything
0: so I mean it's interesting, so as you said, I mean it's almost it's a show of strength. It's like we'll let you go, we'll let you do go so far, but then we're gonna show you that we have control I mean that's what it seems unusual that they're arresting so many people and there aren't any charges being being laid even at the beginning yeah
1: it, it seems like that because in if they are released like without anything after two three hours so there is no case for anything have Most he- of them are not even brought to, to court so because you know after some hours the police should ask a permission to keep the the person more it, it almost never happened
0: so when these individuals are arrested, have there been any cases of someone resisting arrest, of any violence, either on the part of the police or of the person being arrested?
1: Uh, first, we, we instruct our people uh, you know, not to behave with violence, speak quietly if they're being arrested, go with the police, we'll take care of them. In any case that someone is being arrested, we immediately inform in all our groups for the, calling the people to come to the police station where they're being held, where they we kind of support them from the outside, as you can see now, hundreds of people gathering out of the police station, waiting for the guy, uh, showing solidarity, showing you know this uh, brotherhood that are, is so important for us, and I think one is being released right now.
0: I'll check out what's going on. The released man came to join the crowd of supporters and spoke briefly, thanking his lawyer and all those who had come to the police station. And then he began to chant a protest standard. We won't give up, we won't give up. Lonivate Lonivate Lonvate
2: (laughs) Lonivale.
0: It was around 1 a.m. at this point and I headed home. As it turned out, over the next few hours, all but one of those who had been arrested that night were released. A man named Omer, who had been on the Ayalon Highway in Tel Aviv after most protesters had already dispersed, was believed by the police to have lit a bonfire on the highway, which is a criminal offense. He was detained overnight and taken to Romley Prison, one with a particularly rough reputation. Lawyer Yaron Kramer, a Brothers in Arms activist, was at the courthouse and spoke with me later that week about what had transpired on April 15 and 16. Kramer is always on the go, so we spoke while he was driving, which is why the sound isn't great, but it's good enough. And all those pings you hear in the background, that's his WhatsApp the brothers-in-arms group, most of the time, and has never turned off. This is a 24-7 operation. And The people inside the police stations, because police stations are, you know, pretty thick walls and fortified, and probably some rooms are soundproofed. Can they actually hear you from inside? Do you know? Absolutely. Absolutely, amazing!
2: It's not that they hear us, you know. We talked with all the people outside police stations, not only silent but also other stations. They hear everything. They, they they hear the shouts, they hear the, 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 the names that we called their names, and this is so important for them. It was so important for each one of the people that was inside. That's what they said, you know. Uh, when Omer was released after a uh, court's decision on Sunday, he said that it. It, it gave them a very, very strong feeling that they are not alone. And you, and you know, you already talked about this three lunatic months of, uh, in Israel. Mm. And uh, we have discussed this issue. And, and it is so special to see that, you know, we are so uh, stuck together. People are, feel so safe that they are not alone, you know. And the most important thing that we want to deliver, want to convey, is the fact that you are not alone. And you will not be alone, even if you are arrested, even if it's night, even if it's weekend, even if you will be arrested for the day after we are with you. and it's order to give everyone the power and the feeling that what we are doing is 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 so right and that they 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 are not alone um, twenty four hours. and uh, and I think that we uh, we succeeded very, very well.
0: Omer was brought to court in Tel Aviv the following morning sunday april 16th the hearing began at 11 30 and lasted a few minutes the judge hearing the case decided that there was no legal basis on which to detain or charge omer
2: what they claimed actually is that omer was involved uh you know uh, in making um a uh, fire in the uh, uh, a he was involved you know right. uh, initiating fire in tie alone and there is a section in the criminal law of Israel against you know using fire or something like that, lighting fire. Uh, that's all. But what happened actually in court is that that Omer's lawyer actually Osha uh, ten minutes before the, the the discussion, she got a picture with the uh, Omer with a little girl on his shoulders, actually, and he was just on the side of the fire and someone else just put, you know, um, wood to the fire. And she said, come on, you see, he's not involved at all. It took not more than five minutes. Mm. And, uh, and the judge just ruled that she didn't see any evidence for his involvement, uh, for now. And, uh, therefore she, she, she have decided to release him. That's all.
0: Well, Talk about being saved by the bell. That evidence that freed Omer came to light in the nick of time. And in the meantime, he had spent a sleepless night in prison. It's quite a story as your one Kramer tells it. You were at court the next day for the hearing. I saw the photograph. Um, Mm -hmm. And you looked like a happy bunch of people. Was Omer Concerned. I mean, spending a night in Ramla prison cannot be a lot of fun.
2: It was not fun for him, you know, uh, spending the night, or at least it was not a night. Actually, it was just three hours, not more than three hours, you know. But he <laughs> he was thrown to a to a cell with uh, uh, four guys, four uh, Arab guys that uh, I don't know. They were arrested because they are I mean if I, if i remember right they were illegal in israel you know they tried to enter to israel illegally from the uh, territories so you know for a soldier in the idf a reservist sitting in a cell with four Palestinians with a shirt you know the shirt he wore he wore a shirt of brothers in arms right so the the police the policeman told him i suggest you to Take off your shirt and put it opposite, on the other side.
0: Right. Well, it's better for you that they do not see. The police said, it's better for you that they not see. Meaning, you don't really want four Palestinians in an Israeli prison to know that you are a reserve soldier in the IDF. So, take your shirt off and put it back on inside out. In other words, the police were saying, we are knowingly and intentionally placing you, a reserve IDF soldier, in a dangerous place. Such conduct is beyond reprehensible. I'm gonna go out on a limb here and bet that the prison in Ramla had more than one cell in which the police could have locked up Omer for a few hours. Their decision to have him join four Palestinians was deliberate intended to underscore their power and his vulnerability. They likely thought that such a tactic would act as a deterrent. Future wannabe protesters might think three times, not twice, before putting themselves in a position of possible arrest. Since April 16, there have been reports of similar police methods. Two men arrested at a small protest in North Tel Aviv were taken to a police station in an Arab town because the authorities, wrongly, presumed that the activists would be less inclined to demonstrate and make noise there. It seems that the control techniques the cops learned in policing and deterrence class aren't working in the real world. Since that weekend, the protests and arrests have continued. And so ends the story of just another Saturday night in the state of Tel Aviv and beyond, April 15-16, 2023. The new normal, but really, it is anything but. Thanks for listening. As always, until next time, stay safe, stay cool. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond podcast. It would be great if you would like and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Check us out at stateoftelaviv.com on Substack, where you will have access to our full library of content for a limited time only. We are truly independent. We don't just say it, meaning that you will be exposed to views from across the political spectrum at stateoftelaviv.com. Me? I'm all over the place, but generally a solid centrist. State of Tel Aviv is supported by its listeners and readers. Please consider becoming a paid subscriber each member makes a huge difference. I'm Vivian Berkovich, signing off from deep inside the state of Tel Aviv. Until next time, stay cool, stay safe, have a great weekend.